0: Welcome to the P3 Podcast. The Pro Noctis Performance Podcast is the place to be if you're interested in topics such as mindset, coaching, personal development, elite performance, and leadership development. We've got a fantastic guest today, uh, a true sporting icon, and a fellow Welsh connection. Uh, she doesn't even know yet. She probably picked up on my accent, but <laughs> I, might, I might bring it up once or twice being a proud Welshman myself. But um, without further ado, let's just welcome us straight to it. Jazz, how are you doing today?
1: Yes, I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, all right. Yeah, i um, I think we've been spoiled with the weather, and it's raining where I am today, so I'm a little bit disappointed, but I did sort of um, plan my training around that. How about yourself? How's your training been going? Have you been managed to keep fit?
1: Um, yeah, trying to. I think, um, obviously, not being able to go in the pool, no gym, um, the obvious way for me, mainly. I've mainly been on the bike, trying to keep fit, a few um, sessions at home, workouts at home, but mainly been on the bike um, lucky to have a bike at home that I can do indoors, but also been outside a few times. Again, been so lucky with the weather. I think when we get a bit of rain, we're like, oh, like why? We want the sun back again. But um, we have been very lucky with some nice weather to get outdoors, which has been quite nice.
0: So you touched on cycling there. Is, it, is that road cycling or mountain biking?
1: Um, road cycling. So I did I went out on a road bike for the first time in January last year and then and then I loved it and ended up buying a road bike. Um, I mean, I still getting used to the gears and all the stuff. Um, but I absolutely love it. I'm still quite nervous, like when I go out on my own, but, um, no, I absolutely love it. So, um, yeah, I've been out quite a lot actually.
0: It's, it's been, as a cyclist myself, it's been a bit of a, a saving grace to be honest you, for my own physical and mental health, being a cyclist is one of the activities you can do. Have, have you found that as well?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think for me, exercise and sport has always been that kind of place to switch off, have my own time and um, just really go into your own world. So I think for me, it was always like I wanted to try and keep that into my routine and keep that going. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's difficult. Some days I've been super motivated to go out and do lots of exercise and do loads of different things. And then other days it feel quite flat and it takes me quite a lot to actually get in the mood um, to do exercise. For me, I find it quite good to do in the morning so I get it out the way instead of waiting until the evening to try and do it um but yeah it's definitely been something that always has been such a strong part of my life that I really wanted to be able to keep up in some capacity um yeah with cycling I did ride London last year and cycled London to Paris um so yeah kind of was actually due to cycle Bristol to Bordeaux in July um so that's a bit of a shame but um yeah I'm really enjoying cycling.
0: So for a lot of people, they were trying to get in, especially when COVID hit and obviously the lockdown happened, they were trying to get into some form of routine. Um, but I think people have this misconception that a routine has to be quite fixed. You've got to be quite flexible with that, haven't you? And you've got to sort of just, just roll with the punches a bit, a little bit. And you've obviously, obviously alluded to that already. Um, what has your kind of routine been like over the past 10 weeks or so?
1: Yeah, it's strange. I think coming from an athlete like a elite athlete where your whole week is planned out from the hour to swim, gym, physio, um, nutrition, psychology, all the things is planned out for you for the whole week. Um, then step away, it was actually quite difficult to then go from having so much routine, so much structure to my week, then step away. It took me quite a bit of time to get used to that, but, um, definitely during this period of time, during kind of lockdown, if you call it, I found having that kind of a bit of structure to my week, um, setting myself oh i want to go on the bike here this is where i'm going to do certain things and again it is a rough plan it's not always that i have to stick to it and um i'm really strict with it obviously some things change and also it's sometimes about listening to your body which i think as an athlete i've always quite struggled with i always just want to push harder always do it but sometimes about listening to yourself and listening to your brain and your body um And if it's saying time to have a day off, don't be afraid to take a day off, which is something that I've probably struggled with in the past is actually saying, no, I need to have some rest here and uh, actually maybe catch up on some sleep or give my body some time to kind of rejuvenate, I guess.
0: So do you feel you've developed that since your career or was it towards the back end of your career, you were becoming a bit more in tune to listening to your body?
1: Yeah, I think the older I got, the more aware I was, I guess. Um, Illnesses, injuries and things, you're a bit more prone as you get older. Um, When you're younger, your body seems to be able to handle a lot more. Um, And swimming is one of those sports, I guess, early mornings from a young age, doing five o'clock starts at school all day, then back in the water in the afternoon. And so um, you are kind of, I guess, pushed quite hard from a young age um and so yeah I think as I got older it was trying to listen to my body but also I guess being the athlete and especially being a distance athlete I I was always pushing to kind of do more work harder and I guess that's what a lot of athletes are like you always want to be able to push yourself harder get better results find new ways but sometimes a way is just listening to yourself and thinking oh do I need to give myself some more rest and making more kind of performance decisions, I guess, as an athlete. Um so even things like for me, um, every Monday morning I'd get in the pool and I'd be really tight. Um my coach would be like, oh, your stroke looks really short um in the pool. So um every Sunday evening, because we used to have Sundays off, that was our day off unless we had a competition. So every Sunday evening I'd have to religiously kind of do either yoga or stretching just to make sure I was in a better place on the Monday morning. And things like that is being able to listen to your body and if your body needs a bit of extra care and attention even if it's your brain um switching off in that aspect as well just listening to it and giving it giving it what it needs i guess
0: yeah that the active active recovery is so important isn't it and it's something that's obviously being factored into people's programs now um talking about the two sports we've we've chatted about in terms of you know your hobbies that you're cycling and swimming i think the crossover with them go back 10 15 years ago maybe not that long training was very much of a volume. You know, if, if you want to get strong on a bike, you did six, seven, eight hours a day on a bike and you got fitter. Now, science tells us that's actually wrong now, that we haven't got that, that adaptive, adaptive side of things where we're, we're resting and recovering to go again. Um, yeah. is, that what, is that something you're seeing across swimming now, obviously, with your, your new venture and what you're doing? Is it very much sort of science-based rather than volume-based?
1: Yeah, I think being a distance swimmer, has always um, given quite a lot of volume in the pool. Um, and it is funny, you think when I my race would maybe be four minutes or eight minutes long, and I'd be swimming over to way over 23 hours, make 23 24 hours a week, um, in the pool, and then on top of that, you have gym. So it's crazy when you think that your race is so short, um, but you're doing all these hours of training, but um, yeah, I think it's definitely something that I learned. And it wasn't necessarily about how hard you can just push your body, how much further you can do, it's about making those smarter decisions, and um. Things like adding Pilates to my program, I did that a year before Rio, and training just a bit smarter, focusing on certain areas that you can actually work on. My speed was always a weakness of mine, so I had to work on that quite a lot. Um, so being able to identify those areas and not just thinking, it's always just doing more, doing extra. Because um, I think my mindset probably would have always just thought, oh, I just need to do more, I just need to work harder um, to be faster, but it's, it's definitely not the case. There are so many other things that come come into it, and it's about I guess I always use it as like a puzzle it's adding all those pieces to the puzzle to to make the full picture really
0: I'm guessing you know if if the other elite athletes that we've spoken to and that we work with regularly that coach athlete relationship so important there in terms of them being able to spot and identify you know you're tired you stroke short you're not maybe you need a rest year has that been something that's been influential in your career too
1: yeah i've been very lucky to have some amazing coaches and um the coach i actually worked with before rio i moved to him just 2 years before the olympics so um it wasn't actually too long that we'd actually worked together um, in terms of some coaching relations, the coach I was with before, we, I worked with him for just over seven years. So that was quite a long time. Um, but yeah, moved um, to Bath University two years before the Olympics. And to be honest, me and my coach at first, we clashed straight away. Um, and it's quite funny, like within the few first few weeks, um, I've never. Ha- I'm not an argumentative person. I hate confrontation. It's not natural for me at all. And within the first couple of weeks, um, we had an argument. It was a lot of tension, and um, I was like, "Oh my god, if I made the right decision." Um, but really, it was about getting to know each other. I'd been used to a certain coaching style before, which was quite relaxed. Um, completely different personalities. It was um, my coach previously was, "If you want to push yourself, I'm not going to make you do it." Um, you've got to be in charge and you've got to lead it. If you want to push yourself and get results, you need to do that. So for me, from a young age, I moved to him when I was 16. So it quickly made me grow, grow up quite fast and be in control of my own training and pushing myself and having that kind of self drive, I guess. Um, and then move into the coach that I had, um, called Dave in the lead up to Rio, um, He's very passionate, loud, fiery, completely opposite personalities, likes to know how you're feeling every day, likes to know what's going on, how you are. He can tell if you walk on poolside, he said, I can tell within the first five seconds how you're feeling or what mood you're in today. Um, so it was getting used to that. And we um, yeah, had to work on the first few months was actually getting to know each other. Him working out that I don't necessarily like to be shouted at or that kind of confrontation. For me, it's about doing it in a different way. Um and for me with him it was about being able to communicate, telling him how I'm feeling, what's going on, um, and all those other bits that come with it that maybe before I hadn't maybe thought of. Um, but I definitely think that made a huge difference heading into Rio. We had such a tight, close relationship. Um, and even walking to the call room, which is where you go 15 minutes before your race, um, and he's walking me down and we're having like the chat talking about the race plan and all those kinds of things. And um, I remember he gave me this big hug and I think that was just the moment that I remember because, um, we had gone through that journey together. Um, obviously starting off a bit rocky, but it built just such a great relationship and I had full respect and trust that we'd gone on this journey together and that I'd done absolutely everything standing on those blocks in Rio. So, um, at first it was, um, quite testing, but I think that relationship with the coach, um, is really important and can definitely, uh, make results even bigger, even better.
0: There's a few things you you said that resonated with me, and I think it's that start of any relationship. You, you go through that storming stage where you know you're trying to work out you know how did the person sort of processes information, prefers to be communicated, what their motivation levels are, or how how you know what sort of levers to pull, if you like, especially from a coaching perspective. And you can quite quickly disengage the athlete if you, if you use the wrong tools, can't you? Yeah. Um, but I think after that storming stage, it's really important that it settles down. And and, and I think I've seen a lot of relationships where maybe it keeps being stormy. And that's quite difficult then, isn't it? And you end up staying through loyalty rather than doing the right thing. Um, So was it difficult leaving your long-term coach then to to do something new?
1: Well, so my coach actually moved to Australia. So he was offered a job in Perth. um, And I actually went over there on a training camp, which was great. But obviously, um, you were on the other side of the world. And I came back and chatting to GB Swimming. And they were saying, well... We don't think we can support you in Australia because with camps, competitions, um, especially a lot of the circuit in Europe was swimming, you kind of go towards competitions. And I guess for them, knowing what I was doing on the other side of the world is quite tricky. Um, and so they kind of, I guess, said, we weren't sure whether we could support you over there. So I had to make the decision, oh, do I kind of uproot my life and everything and move to Australia? Or um, do I look for another programme? So I had to look um a few, a few programs in the UK and to be honest at Bath University the program that I moved to it's not actually known for a distance program like some um, clubs or programs are known for specific events you'd be like oh they soup, breaststroke or medley um, and he wasn't actually maybe known for distance freestyle but he had I mean he'd coached a lot of different events um, and he didn't have many distance swimmers at all but for me, it was more about the relationship and um, I always got on really well with him on training camps. But obviously it is different when I moved. <laughs> um, I think when you're away on a training camp, you, I guess you, it's like you're on holiday and um, well, not on holiday because you're going for a lot of hard work. But um, that kind of feeling where it's like a week away, you're in the sunshine or whatever. Um, but I knew I got on well with him and I knew um, he'd be able to push me um, and really kind of get, get something more out of me in a different way. Um, but I wanted to challenge myself in a different way so um, that's how I kind of came to the decision but um, yeah it was definitely one of the best decisions I've made I think um, I was maybe looking for that little bit extra that kind of relationship that could really drive and get something out of me even when everything's telling me my body brain is like no don't do any more. he managed to still kind of get something out of me so I think um, although it was tough it was um, definitely a great decision to make.
0: Yeah. And I think the, res- the results speak for themselves, which we'll come on to later on. I mean, if, if, if you don't mind, Jazz, can we take it right back to the start in terms of, you know, how did you get into swimming? How old were you? And did you have the normal pressures of, I think of, you know, the swimmers that were in school with me, they, they were exactly what you said, you know, five o'clock in the morning before school, a couple of hours. And the commitment from the parents there is phenomenal, isn't it? They're just getting up at that time before work. And then also straight back in the pool, you know, after school. And it's just repetition, repetition, repetition. Was that the same for you?
1: Yeah, so I joined the Learn to Swim programme when I was five. And again, it was just to, um, I guess, be safe in the water. Mum and dad, my mum actually was really scared of the water, couldn't swim. She's a bit better now, but still not that comfortable in the water. So I think it was mainly about water safety and to make me actually know what to do if I was, I guess, in a, an uncomfortable situation. Um, and then just progress through the squads naturally. Um, you kind of, as you get a bit faster, a bit older, you then move on to the next squad. Um, so yeah, at a young age, had no idea where swimming was going to take me, to be honest. I think, um, I knew I loved being in the water. It felt, I felt like I loved, um, my experience swimming, lots of friends at, at the swimming club. And, um, yeah, just loved, we used to have like one length races or in primary school, I raced the the head teacher a couple of times. So, um, I always used to just love that race feeling and the competitive side of it. Um, and um yeah i think for me it was difficult especially at senior school where there's a lot more um commitment to schoolwork. there's exams there's um all the pressures that come with being like a young a young teen i guess um friends and they start going out and there's all different things and um turning up to school with wet hair smell everyone used to say you stink of chlorine. i mean it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't normal but um I used to just love it. And it was, um, one of my favorite times. And I think I was talking about it the other day, actually, about how swimming has always been such a kind of, um, relaxing space for me. It's been that time where it can get me through stress. It can push me physically, push me mentally, but also just be that kind of switch off where you go into your own world and being in the water, that feeling I used to just love. Um, but I don't think at school, many people, I guess, maybe thought that I would go on and, um, a professional swimmer or go to the Olympics there was um the yearbook at school where you um have to vote who's going to go to the Olympics and they didn't pick me um so that's how much they thought I was going to go to the Olympics which uh, (laughs) it's quite nice now that I've been um but um yeah I think for me it was kind of like that just place that I loved it was just a hobby um and I had no idea where it was going to take me and then um moved away from home at 16 then so Just before my 17th birthday but um after my GCSEs went and moved to Swansea and um that's when I kind of started college and moved to more of a senior program then so um I quickly had to learn then all the things that come with being a senior athlete when you're um I guess in a club program you're one of the older ones um it's a lot different then than moving to a senior program um you see how you've got to turn up early you've got to um, give your best every single session you pre-pool post-pool all the things that come with being a senior athlete just to try and make the senior team um, it definitely made me learn very quickly but um, yeah it soon gave me the kind of um, drive determination that I wanted to be fighting to go on those teams and to be part of the squads I guess. A
0: couple of questions did you beat the teacher though?
1: Yeah. Twice. Of course she
0: did. Of course she did, yeah. <laughs> and, and and did the person who was written in the book, they'll go to the Olympics, did they make it?
1: No, I, no they've not. <laughs> <laughs> no, they get, didn't. Get
0: in, sorted. Um, so the move to Swansea, was that specifically for college, for swimming, or was it a family move?
1: So that was for swimming. Um, and basically from a young age was, um, well, I was I was in a very small swimming club didn't have loads of hours of training and from a young age was always told you need to do more training you need to do more hours um and all this kind of stuff from like GB swimming so um at 16 from Wales um said to me look we can offer you to come and swim in Swansea um and give they gave me the support so um I guess if they hadn't have given me that support at um at that age then um I definitely wouldn't be here today really
0: and just in terms of that then so um so, so, so your family are welsh is that right and then and then you you were you were born in england yep. was there any sort of competition in terms of bidding wars in terms of who you were going to race for or was it a no-brainer
1: <laughs> no i i was quite young when i made the decision i think i'd spent a lot of christmases birthdays families in wales so for me it was kind of like a bit of a no-brainer um that all, all my other family lived in wales so um yeah it was a decision that i made and um yeah i didn't really think twice or think um think about the decision i guess it just felt quite a natural decision to make um but yes yeah, i've been to four Commonwealth games which is quite crazy um but having that opportunity and swimming for wales and um they gave me a lot of support from a younger age so i'm very like grateful for all the opportunities that they've kind of given me i guess as as an athlete
0: yeah i'm sure And obviously with with, with the welsh blood in your system anyway it would have felt felt like home anyway regardless so uh um so can you so from that point then you moved to Swansea? can you take us on then to your first sort of how did you get on to you know to your first championships for example
1: yeah i i so I moved at sixteen I guess you quickly realise how much your family kind of do for you at a young age when you're having to balance your college work with um cooking cleaning, getting to the pool and actually being in charge it's quite um quite well it was quite overwhelming as as a youngster um but it definitely made me grow up really fast and being able to know what meals and learning about my nutrition and physio and um all those kinds of things that come with being an athlete um I quickly had to learn so um yeah I think um for me again it did take a bit of time for me to transition into the program and get used to the training um I maybe started seeing improvement after maybe nine months to a year that's when i started to really see um it improving while i was racing and then i made my first gb senior team when i was 18 so that was the world championships and it was for a relay um I was in the events that actually had Rebecca Adlington and Joe Jackson who were in it. And um, so they're in the events that I'm competing in and they just won medals. Um, Becky won two gold and Joe a bronze at the uh, Beijing Olympics. So um, I was lucky enough to get onto a relay, but the the individual spots for me were quite tough to make because obviously I was competing against Olympic medalists and the Olympic champions. So um, yeah, it was it was good to be on that team because the relay was with Becky, Joe and Caitlin Um, who were all really great senior athletes that won medals at Worlds, Olympics, all the kind of senior competitions. And there was me turning up to my first GB senior team um, as the rookie, the youngest on the team, and no experience whatsoever. And I was swimming in a relay with the other three girls. So, um, yeah, it was quite scary at the time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. But how was it in terms of, you know, the overall environment and how important was that experience, do you think, from such a young age moving forward?
1: Yeah, it, I mean the first the first team is always a nervous one, I think, um, because you're getting used to you feel like a you feel like you're the new one on the team that you don't quite fit in. You don't really know what people are doing. People playing cards, like you're like so excited. You're like a puppy just around, like so excited just to be there and um, enjoying the whole experience. Um, so I think um, yeah, it was just I guess again, it's being able to watch people learning, seeing how people do things. Um, but also focusing on myself and the job that I wanted to do was be part of the relay. And um, I've always loved a relay, but I think I felt so much pressure and excitement because I was on the relay with the other three girls. Um, oh, I would just remember like I was so nervous before, but I actually managed to drop two seconds off my time um which in swimming is is quite a lot of time um so I dropped two seconds and managed to come away with the um with the bronze medal so first senior team for GB and managed to come away with the bronze medal at the world championships um so that was kind of like my first taste I guess of it where I thought um oh I just want to keep doing this again and again I absolutely loved it and um yeah I just wanted that feeling again and again because being on the the podium and being with the rest of the girls and seeing the British flags it was um yeah it was just that kind of first experience for me and I look back and I've got such good memories of it because I think that really gave me the confidence and determination to push on really
0: yeah it must have been a a huge sort of boost to to your self-belief system didn't it in terms of well this is where i want to be i can compete at this level now i just want to kick on that you were saying that you know that that two seconds etc so it must have been a huge adrenaline rush you know in that that moment in terms of but was it was a controlled adrenaline so i obviously i'm pumped up but i'm not going to go up too fast i'm just gonna swim my own race if you like
1: yeah um it's quite funny because like i think when you're when you're on like a a swimming event it's normally just you in the lane you're in control of your own performance and that also gives you a lot of accountability because you can say look I did my best or I did I messed up my turn or whatever you can kind of stay accountable but when it's a relay and swimming I guess isn't really known as that group sport that sport where you all come together um, but I absolutely thrived I loved relays from a young age we were exposed to kind of club relays and I used to absolutely love love relays and most of the time i was always put on the last leg which i guess is kind of seen as a bit of the pressure leg most of the time um because people are all watching you and you can make or make or break the the relay um but i was in the middle here because obviously i was the youngest one and they they obviously didn't want to take that risk on me when i was the youngest one first first senior team um but yeah i think it was just full of adrenaline nerves the excitement and i've always seeing nerves and that kind of feeling before a race as a really great thing like I actually miss that feeling now that feeling that you get before a race where you're so nervous you're quite scared but you're so excited you can't wait and I always think nerves are just going to help me swim faster um so I think it was always trying to be aware my coach would say to me look you're gonna want to go out really fast it's going to feel amazing that first length but just remember just to keep it controlled. Don't like use all the, all your energy in that first kind of half of the race. So that was always kind of drilled into me from a young age. So, um, yeah, I actually managed to control the race quite well um, and hold that first, the first half quite steady. Well, steady in comparison, because I would, would have wanted to go out a lot quicker, I think, if I um, went on my nerves and excitement, but managed to actually pull off a good swim and um, pace it quite well for my first, first senior relay and senior team actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. It sounds like a really mature performance, actually. And obviously, great advice from your coach, too. And then the ability for you to go and execute that guidance is fantastic. Um, I want to touch on a little bit you, you talked about there. Now, we talk a lot in our world of coaching regarding nerves versus excitement. And um, the actual, you know, the chemical reaction within your body is very, very similar the thing that changes it is your mindset and your perception of that. So if you see nerves as a performance inhibitor, then it's going to cause potential some problems. But if you see nerves slash excitement as, as, a, as a performance enhancer and something that's, I need this to be stimulated. I, I, I'm i feeling all of these emotions because I'm excited because I want to be, here, I want to compete. Then all of a sudden the, the world's completely different, isn't it? In terms of your outlook.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, even get a little bit nervous like I did my first well my first and only triathlon last year and I felt like I was getting the nerves back again I was like it doesn't matter about my performance like I'm not expecting anything it's just to go out and kind of enjoy it and to do something new but I was nervous before that and I've always kind of tried to have that view that nerves and to expect and know that they're coming as well and that you're always going to get those well I used to always get thoughts that have I done enough training am I ready am I going to swim well what if it goes bad and I guess it was just accepting and knowing that those thoughts are going to come but bring it back to the facts and the facts of all the training you've done of all the hours of training all the good sessions all the times I've hit race pace and things like that um bringing it back to the actual facts rather than all those thoughts that come into my head right before I race, um, which I think is really natural. I think that's the body kind of thinking, trying to protect us, I guess. Um, But I would always just try and bring it back. But yeah, nerves for me, I do really miss them now. I wish I um, had more things because it's quite a nice feeling where you kind of get those nerves and you're just so excited to to race.
0: Yeah. And I think it's quite common with, um, you know, elite athletes who retire because it's such a natural high it's really difficult to replicate it anywhere else in, a, in any other you know part of your life, isn't it? And it's quite common to miss that. Um, so you said you're one and only triathlon, no plans to do anymore?
1: <laughs> well, I was looking at maybe doing one this year, but obviously with all the events off. Um, and I've been doing well with my bike, but I haven't been running as much. So I probably need to keep up the running and obviously haven't swam really. So um, yeah, I would like to do them, but I think they're mainly for enjoyment. It's not... Because I want to try and, um, strive to be the best at something. It's actually more, I guess, that feeling. I kind of miss that start line feeling where you get on the blocks and you're just giving like an honest effort and see what you can get, um, out of yourself. And obviously in triathlon, it's not comparing myself to anyone else, but it's just being able to see what I can do and enjoy it. And it's just enjoy, I just love and thrive in that kind of competition arena, if that makes sense, even if it's just the 10K um resolution run which was local to me i still like that feeling of being in that kind of environment
0: yeah and gives you the focus on as well and, and something to train for isn't it you know because you've had it you know all your life really that i'm training because there's, a, there's an end product an end race an end competition so gives you that focus for tension so so we had the the world champs in 2009 so then the next thing i believe was was it the commonwealth games in 2010
1: yeah so commonwealth games and um yeah that was quite nice because i had individual races then so i managed to um I guess, because you don't want st- to, in swimming, it's a bit funny, you don't want to be known as that kind of relay swimmer. You want to be able to show that you can do it individually as well. And um, Obviously, after dropping two seconds, it's like seeing like, oh, she performs re- really well in a relay. But you want you want to be able to do that individually as well. So, um, yeah, managed to come away with silver and a bronze at the Commonwealth Games. And that was kind of like, I guess, my first breakout as an individual swimmer. So, um, yeah, it was in Delhi, so there was quite a lot going on. Um bit different. Um, but no, I loved it. And um, yeah, again, it was just um, a great, it's great, obviously being part of Team Wales, going to the Commonwealth Games. It's It's been one of my favourite events that how it is. And um, it's called the Friendly Games. And it's just um, such a nice environment to be in. Um, even if a lot of people are stuck on the toilets and things like that, it was still a nice <laughs> environment to be in.
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it, well, we do know what it is. I mean, you can't say Delhi without Delhi Valley anymore, can you? It just sort of goes... <laughs> goes in hand in hand so to speak so Commonwealth Games it seems a lot more relaxed than the Olympics is is my um my understanding Is, is that true obviously having been there and lived through it all
1: yeah I think it's got a similar feel to it in terms of like the village and all the athletes being together all the different sports but um yeah I think um it is a bit more relaxed than the Olympics I think in terms of um I guess um it's well you've got a lot more competition at the olympics there's a bit more pressure there's a lot more people watching a lot more people interested but the commonwealth in terms of swimming are still like a lot of good nations that you are up against um australia and canada are real great people in sport so um in the sport of swimming so yeah it's still a lot of competition but um it's always a good way to test yourself i guess so it was nice to come away with two medals individually against obviously some of the strong nations too
0: in terms of your first Commonwealth Games and your expectations for that, were you happy coming away with those medals or did you expect more or less? Um,
1: well, so I actually went to my first Commonwealth Games. I didn't say earlier. I went to my first Commonwealth Games at 15 in 2006 in Melbourne. And um, to be fair, it was more of like the experience then and to think, oh, wow, like I managed to qualify. Um and so I think that first experience was like a bit of a stepping stone and think oh this is what it's like um so then in 2010 I guess I'd had that experience of the world championships um and I just I think it is different it is different representing GB in Wales I'm not saying they're they're on par for me but um it's always nice when you get to kind of go there and be part of the Welsh team and um it's a bit of a smaller family so it's um a bit of a smaller team but uh you really want to kind of bring back the medals for Wales and um, bring, yeah, bring them home for Wales. So it was nice to actually be um, one of those ones that had brought back um, some medals and to, I guess, use it as a stepping stone to go on to the the next competition. Then it's kind of seen as um, putting on your best performance and then trying to use that for the next competition or the next international stage that you might race on.
0: Did you, did you ever feel, especially, you know, in those Commonwealth games, I guess, that, competing for Wales, you were, you know, competing for for a small nation, a very proud nation. And almost the underdog title, you know, where maybe not a lot of people expected a lot. Um, but then you wanted to go and prove yourself?
1: Yeah, I think definitely people, um it's maybe not seen as like one of the strongest sports in Wales, but I think definitely the past few Commonwealth games, we've started to bring back a lot more medals and it's seen as, I guess, one of the stronger sports. So um yeah, I think I quite like that underdog feeling where people don't maybe expect it um, because I think it just makes it even better when you can actually um, perform well and they're like, oh, we didn't expect that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, brilliant. Um, And a a proud moment standing on the podium, no doubt, for the first time.
1: Yeah, it was. And um, unfortunately, my mum and dad didn't come over. Um, But it was just one of those feelings where on the blocks and um, yeah, it's just... I think that podium feeling, it's like you wish you could kind of like bottle that feeling up and like just, you know, when you're having a bit of a tough day, just release a little bit of like the feelings that you got on the podium because um, they're, they're worth all the hours of training, all the hours, all the tears, all the pain, all the heartache. Um, it's worth it when you're actually on, on the podium and getting those medals. I think it definitely makes it worth it.
0: And I suppose there's two questions here. In the moment or when around that time, and now you've retired, are you you know do you look back fondly on the fact that I believe that you were the first Welsh athlete to win two medals at the Commonwealth games in eighty years you know were you aware of that at the time or is it something you reflect on now
1: um I think it's weird, I think at the time um you're not really aware of it um, until people tell you oh this is this is how it is um, I think it's funny because I think when you look back as an athlete you're always chasing to be um, that next competition or chasing faster times what's next always thinking what can I do after this that um, you actually don't normally sit wow well, I don't remember sitting back and thinking oh that just happened what an amazing experience that was but then when you I guess step out of it and retire um and step away from the competitive side of it, you then think, oh, wow, like I was actually so lucky to be able to do all of that. And I actually have done some amazing things. So I think in the moment, you're always trying to chase that next thing. But I think it's so important just to step back and try and think, oh, like I, I've actually done that. And um, to give that confidence and I guess give yourself a pat on the back.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, it's quite a trap. Athletes fall in sometimes. you can You can stop and reflect too much too deeply and that drives complacency. There's a bit where you just keep going and going and going and don't sort of recognise what you've achieved. You don't celebrate those successes at all. Um, but I think what you're talking about there is that balance in terms of identifying what you've done for your own belief and confidence that you can go to the next phase. Um, and it sounds like you had that nailed down. So moving forward then, obviously, I think, you know, the home Olympic Games, London 2012, was that played with a little bit of injury before that? Was that right?
1: Yeah, so um, it was actually the British Championships in 2011. Um, I'd performed really well, best times. Um, improved on my commonwealth games performance and um yes qualified for the world championships and then about six to eight weeks later started feeling a bit sluggish tired um obviously as an athlete you're tired most of the time so um but i felt more tired i felt more tired, tired than normal um ill illness i seemed to be getting ill quite a lot um it just didn't feel right so i went to the doctors um had a blood test and they said they came back and they said look um you've got glandular fever um, and so, like, my first question was, like, what does that mean? Um, can I still swim? Like, what is what is this? Like, I hadn't really heard much about it. Um, and so, obviously, when you find out just over a year out from the London 2012 Olympics that um, you've got glandular fever, it's absolutely gutting. But to me, I just wanted to, um, to do everything that I could. Like, I wanted to give myself the best chance to try and qualify for London. And, um, yeah, it was difficult, I think with uh, training just broken up um couldn't get in consistent block of training and even though I guess you still try and tell yourself I can do it I can do it um it just it just didn't quite happen for me and turned up to the trials um managed to achieve the qualifying time to go but I came fourth and um they took the top two so well they can only take two and they took the top two um so yeah it was um a really gutting time for me and I think seeing friends and people so elated and happy I think when you're kind of sad you notice that everyone seems quite happy and it's like easy to see oh everyone seems like they qualify they're so happy and elated and you feel like you're the only one and going through a really tough time. Um, but I think that was probably one of my kind of darker times and tougher times in the sport. Um, nearly walked away from the sport, wasn't sure if I wanted to carry on. Um, but took a few months away. Um, obviously having to watch the Olympics from the TV in your in your room, um, I think I was on holiday for some of it, so I was watching it on the iPad. Um, I managed to go up to do a bit of commentary, but it's not the same. It's not the same when you get to, I guess, see your friends and they're having the best time in London and so like it looked the most amazing experience and I think obviously having a home olympics it is once in a lifetime um so I was just absolutely gutted and I think obviously the media and it had been built up for so long and to to not be a part of it um was really tough to take I think but um that's just sport it's what happens you can't control um you can't control what happens you can just do the best that you can do and um when I look back I even think oh would I have got my results in Rio if I hadn't have had such a disappointment in 2012 and I don't know it did give me a newfound hunger determination drive um push me even further always asking to do a bit more if I missed a race pace I'd do an extra one it kind of gave me that newfound drive i push myself always put myself in the harder group the distance group every session so I guess it did push me to new areas and new ways but um at the time it was really tough to take
0: yeah and I think you know people on the call that maybe are swimmers athletes triathletes runners cyclists whatever I think the only thing you can probably relate it to is you know you've done you know a good block of training and then you know you're injured for the event but then times it by a thousand because it's it's what you do for a living, you know. It's it's the, the, the biggest championships in the world. It's at home, and and I don't think it's it's a selfish thing. It's the, it's the clash between the individual and the wider team, isn't it? Where you you're chuffed for the team, but I yeah. want to be in the team and I should <laughs> be there. So it's it's, it's yeah. nothing personal. It's just that natural drive and, and professionalism of yourself.
1: Yeah, I think it is. It is just wanting to be a part of it, and it's wanting to have that experience too, and experience it with. Your coaches your teammates and everyone else around you um and it is just it was just sad obviously having to watch it and I am the biggest sports fan I love all sports so there was no way I would have switched it off or not watched it like I'm as big a fan as anyone of sport so um watching it obviously the swimming especially was tough watching it but I was still a big sports fan and wanted them those athletes and the swimmers to do well I was supporting them all the way because um that's what i am i'm like that's what i'm like and i've always kind of supported that and um just love watching sports and always supported team gb
0: it was going to be a question actually in terms of were you able to watch it and and how difficult was it and um, was it the job of a thought pattern of going i can't watch it because it's so painful right i'll have to watch it and then once you started watching it you're like right i'm in now i'm cheering
1: (laughs) yeah i think um i guess maybe if if after I'd just qualified if the Olympics was right then when I was probably at my most disappointed was right after then I maybe said no I don't know whether I can watch it but um obviously you have the trials and then you've got a bit of time so I guess I'd come to terms starting to come to terms with it but watching it it does it does hurt watching it um but I wanted to I wanted to and I wanted to support and I wanted to see how everyone was going to get on and I guess seeing the crowd and the excitement, um, I still wanted to I guess watch that and have that experience, even if it was just as a spectator.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's bittersweet, isn't it? Instead of biting your nails with nervousness, you're biting your knuckles because you want to be there competing. But I'm still on your side. I still got your back. <laughs> so, so we talked about you know this 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 moment where you thought about walking away from sport. You've reflected on it. You had some time out and you know gathered your thoughts. And, and naturally, that's a that's a natural emotional response to go through, isn't it? When you you, you can't do something you're so passionate about. Then you've refocused, and then obviously we go forward to the next Olympic Games, uh, sorry, the Commonwealth Games, and that was pretty successful as well, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, well, I think after missing out on London, my confidence was at an all-time low, and um, yeah, it was it was difficult because I guess I was doing all this hard work of training, but every time I came to a competition, it's like I lost that confidence, and I didn't quite have that belief that I could still be competing against the the girls on the world stage. So it did take me quite a few competitions and races to actually get back into the swing of it. Um, the year after I came fourth at the world championships and I saw that again as a massive failure, being fourth in the world. But I look back now and I'm like, you missed that on the Olympics. And then to be fourth in the world the year after is actually seen as a bit of a stepping stone. But to me it was like another disappointment, another upset. Um, but yeah, the Commonwealth Games the following year in 2014 was probably that um, it was that time where it gave me that confidence and belief that I could go on and um, be racing and winning medals internationally, and I think that's what really gave me the, the confidence. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a difficult year actually. My coach at the time, he the one. He moved to Australia. He moved there in April. Um, three or four months out from the Commonwealth Games. So, um, yeah, I was very lucky to be supported by um, some Wales and the coaches around me. Um, I really couldn't have done it without them because they kind of were bringing me back together when my coach was on the other side of the world. Um, and then obviously turning up to the Commonwealth Games where your coaches on a completely different time zone. So I was very lucky to have the support of everyone around me and, um, yeah, I managed to come away with like the best time, broke the championship record. And that was the first time that I was like, Oh, I can do this and, um, I can go on and compete with the best, I guess.
0: Yeah. And, and you go on to, to win a significant medal. Eh? <laughs>
1: yeah, I think, um, obviously there was loads of different competitions and I guess each competition I was going on and, um, getting more momentum, more confidence. And the Commonwealth Games is a big confidence, winning gold and a silver. Um, and then it was three weeks later, it was actually the European Championships where I managed to go even faster and win two golds. So um, that was probably, looking back, one of my best summers of racing. And um, that was a bit of a turning point because that actually made me think, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on and do this. And I didn't want to, to, to miss out on Rio. I didn't want to be sat on the sidelines again, watching on the TV.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously, again, first gold medal for Wales in 40 years, I believe, in terms of um, another little sort of um, huge sort of credible sort of comment on that. And that must have set you up really well going into Rio then. So you, you talked about it earlier, you touched on it in terms of that new coach, new process, new regime, if you like, in terms of moving forward. So can you give us a whistle-stop tour of that two years up to it? And also, what was it like in Rio? And, and what was it that you did in those two years that allowed you to have the success you did?
1: Oh, um, well, I think obviously, yeah, a new coach, different, um, different program, different personalities, the coaches. Um, so I had to adapt to a new environment, get used to a new environment and, um, yeah, I think it was a different challenge, but, um, yeah, for me, I actually found the Olympic trials. Um, so the British championships where you've got to qualify for the Olympics. I actually found that a lot harder than the Olympics Um, because the trials, it felt like there was, I felt like it was deja vu. I felt like I was going to miss out again. I had all these thoughts. Um, what if I miss out now? That's, this is probably my last chance to, to actually go on, um, and do something at the Olympics. Um, and I actually qualified on my last swim. I managed to get the qualifying time on my last swim, um, for like an automatic selection. And it was honestly one of the most stressful weeks of my life trying to get to Rio, So I think the Olympics was probably actually a lot more relaxed than the trials. Um, but, um, yeah, I think for me, it was just, um, leaving no stone unturned and doing everything asking for more, um, doing everything to the best I could, um, brought in Pilates for the year before. Um, I worked on my pulling strength. So like when you do a lot of pulls, I worked on that, especially the year before. Um, so it was just, adding a lot of things to the program. Um, and in swimming, they call it the Olympic shift. So, um, it's like the year before, it's like just saying I'm going to do absolutely everything I can making the decisions is to the Olympic shift, doing everything to the best I can. Um, and obviously as an athlete, it's hard to keep that up every single year, year on year, but they call it the Olympic shift where everything's from your nutrition, your physio, your pool to your land stuff. Um, to absolutely everything so um I think that's definitely what gave me the confidence in Rio is just knowing that I've done absolutely everything I couldn't have actually asked more of myself and um it was different for me I actually had to adjust my race plan heading into the Olympics my coach sat me down the year before and he said look if we swim if we race how you have always raced, we're probably going to get the same results maybe fourth maybe fifth we might scrape a bronze um he said you always finish your races and everyone always says oh if only it was 50 meters more or 25 meters more, then you'd have a silver medal. But obviously it's not, it's, it's too late when you finish the race and you're fourth or you're fifth. Um, there's no point saying that then. So he said, I want you to be in the race from the start. I want you to go out faster. Um, and I was like, what? Like, I've only raced like this my whole life. What? How am I supposed to do this? Like at the Olympics? Um, but each competition, I'd try and test that out. I'd try and go out faster. I'd try and test out being uncomfortable. Because for me, going out faster was a lot, um, a lot more uncomfortable for me. It wasn't my, I guess, um, what I was used to. It wasn't how I normally raced. So I had to get used to practicing that, making myself feel uncomfortable in that first half of the race. Um, but after practicing in some, some competitions, I'd get it wrong. Some competitions, I could do it. Um, but it was all about just trying to practice that, that environment. Um, then getting to the Olympics, it was, um, just knowing and knowing that i had done everything and that i was going to execute and commit to the race plan that my coach had given me so um i think that's what gave me the most confidence
0: the the change in in, in approach then was that more of a, a physical challenge or psychological one for you
1: i think it was more psychological but then i'd never done it physically um I was always been known of having that big engine that would always come back really fast at the end of races. But I'd never been known as being able to go out very fast and being able to have that front end speed. Um, So I had to practice that in training, obviously been doing a bit more speed work, trying to work on that front end of my racing. But um, it was definitely mentally challenging as well because it made me feel really uncomfortable thinking about it. And, um, yeah, one of the, well, it's funny cause I look back at it now. We were, um, I was working with a sports psychologist in the lead up to Rio. Obviously one of the things is committing to this race plan and getting my head around it. And I turned up to one of his sessions and it was at the Bath University cafe. And, um, it's, it's full of people. It's normally full of athletes, parents, um, full of coaches, whatever. There's always loads of people. And I turned up to my meeting with him. And he said, right, Jazz, for our meeting today, I want you to stand up and say say to everyone, introduce yourself, say who you are, and say you're going to Rio to try and win two medals. And I was like, no, like, there's no way, there's absolutely no way I'm doing this. Like, I didn't want to, um, I, I was just like, no, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And he was like, so talk me around for a little bit. And then, like, I'd stand up, sit back down, I couldn't do it. Did that quite a few times. Then about after about 15 to 20 minutes... I literally stood up and I said, hi, everyone, I'm Jaz Carlin, and I'm going to Rio to try and win two medals. Sat straight back down, literally wanted the seat to, like, suck me up. I didn't want to be seen. And then one guy started clapping. Someone came over and shook my hand and said, good luck, we're all behind you. Um, and so, obviously, the point of that, and um, the the meeting, was that he said you're going to feel uncomfortable in Rio. You're not going to be comfortable in this situation. A, go trying to do a new race plan, but also it's the Olympics. It's a completely new environment for you. You're going to feel uncomfortable. But you've just shown me that even if you do feel uncomfortable, you can actually still do it and your brain will tell you you can't and you don't want to, but you still can. Um, So I always try and think back to that because um, it's quite an interesting one. And I think doing things like that, it does make you realise that, oh, things will feel uncomfortable and when you're trying to push things and try and do great things you will feel uncomfortable but you can actually do it
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely the brain the brain's got a, a, a huge amount of answering hasn't it you know to, to, to the way we behave in terms of we'll always try and protect you and it always protect you from stopping stopping you doing things and I think that you're not going to change your outcomes unless you change your behaviors and you can only change your behaviors when you get your head around it and, and that, that, that's a great great example of an exercise for that isn't it?
1: Yeah, very uncomfortable exercise. I didn't enjoy that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and athletes and coaches in a coffee shop? Nah, never. I don't, I don't believe that for one second. <laughs> um, so obviously, two silver medals. So you've gone through all of this change, you know, a different race plan. That must have been an amazing, amazing feeling to come away with two.
1: Yeah, it's... Um it's a bit of a blur. Like when I try and look back and think back to the race, it feels quite cloudy. Like I try and remember it, I guess because I want, I want to have such like vivid memories of every single stroke in the race. Um, Whereas reality um, to watch it back, obviously I can remember it a lot more because I can see it. Um, But the actual feeling of the race, I can't remember that well. I think I was just so like excited and um, just the whole thing um, was, yeah, it was just a dream come true, I guess, winning two medals. Obviously, When you look back, like gold is the dream, gold is the absolute dream. But to come away with two silvers and behind Katie Ledecky who is kind of like the the best female distance swimmer of all time. Um it's just yeah, it's it's it it was just an incredible week. And um I guess it it kind of makes you appreciate all the kind of tough times, the lower moments and the ones that you've had to overcome. And I think it just makes that bit more special when you do come out the other side and you do end up getting the results and um, obviously after nearly walking away from the sport to then come back um, and come away with two silver medals. It was, um, yeah, it was a dream come true.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a fantastic summary of how you put it there. Now, I know we've got a couple of questions coming in from the guys listening in. Um, if we take them now, I'd like to talk about, you know, after that, uh, your, your decision to retire and also what you're doing now and your plans for the future. So I know you've got some, some big, big plans and things afoot. So uh, Gwen's asking from your perspective, and what's your, what's your biggest achievement? If you, out of all of
1: them? Oh, I always find it really difficult. I think um, the two Olympic medals is probably the biggest, I guess, sporting achievement. Um, I guess when you look back, um, I don't know, it's like you remember a lot of like experiences and the relationships you made, the friendships that you've made um, and all those kind of memories that you look back on your sporting career. Um, so I think yeah just being able to um be a part of it all and I think I feel very lucky now that I can now I go away with swim whales and I work with the younger kids coming through and I can help mentor them and work with them it does really feel like I've kind of done a full circle so I feel like a very that, that it's given me a great position to be where I am today and to be able to hopefully influence help support the next ones coming through so um I think probably Olympic medals are seen as the kind of best one. But when you look back, I guess you remember all the times from when you were youngster and um, all those little races, medals and little things that just, um, yeah, that just kind of make, make all the journey that bit more special.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for that. And there's one from Miles as well. So he says that when you're swimming in a pool, obviously a lot of the work is around technique, et cetera. And whilst it's only open swimming at the minute, is there any technique work that you could advise people to do in, in, in open swimming?
1: Yeah, I think, um, for me, it's about, um, still being able to, it's, it's different in open water. It is a different style of technique. But if you are a pool swimmer, I think you can, can actually still do drills that you can focus on in the pool. You can actually do them in open water. Um, so I think just being able to focus on those smaller areas, and even though your stroke maybe slightly different and you're sighted and you're looking up um you can still work on those technical aspects but also mixing things up and being able to still focus on whether it's your pool or your kick um you can still do all those little things that you do in the pool but you can do them in open water too so i think um still giving that variety to training as well
0: great stuff thank you and last one so far with ben then so do do you see yourself um doing the the channel or the the channel attempt at any time Oh, <laughs> um, get yourself covered in lard, lovely.
1: <laughs> I've not actually thought of it. I think at the minute, because um, after doing swimming for so long, I guess I've been doing other challenges in different sports. Um, but I, I definitely have to train again because I got in the water well in the sea the other day for the first time and i was like oh my god like i feel like i'm swimming in like syrup so i definitely need to do some s- swim training if i was going to do some swim challenges but you know i'm always up for a challenge i love doing um different challenges different events swimming in different parts of the world um so yeah i'm always up for a challenge but i would never say never <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. the way you're describing swimming then is the way, way i feel on a bike at the minute that's for sure just cycling <laughs> on is treacle um so bring us back on the jazz so give, give us a little bit you know a little flavor of you know how you came to the decision to retire and your ambitions for the future with with swim with jazz etc
1: yeah so it was actually um it, obviously after rio and we're on the plane back and we'd had the you most know, successful olympics so many medals and to be a part of that um and to actually bring back medals and to be come I guess when you go to a competition you want to come away and think I gave my best performance and so I was really content that I'd done my best um at Rio but then you come home and obviously they're following the plane on the news and it was the most amazing thing and you went into like the media room and like one of my first questions was um so what are you thinking about Tokyo then and I was like "Ah, like I've just got back from Rio I really wanted to just enjoy it um but also it's again how we spoke before of the competitions and it's always the what's next thinking about thinking ahead rather than actually enjoying it but I did find that period after the Olympics very difficult and a lot of people had spoken about the Olympic blues um and people were like oh yeah you might not feel great after the Olympics or I might not feel as motivated and I was like no I'll be fine like I'll literally be absolutely fine I don't understand these Olympic blues but um as soon as like kind of stuff settles and you're back and you're putting your bins out or you are going shopping in and putting, you soon realize like you're back to reality and this is the, the real world. Um, and obviously when you're in the Olympic bubble and you go into the dining hall food all the time, sorry, I talk about food all the time. I need to stop. Um, but no, just that in that like environment. Um, so I think it was, yeah, just going back to reality was quite difficult and getting used to a new sense of normal. Um, and also I think because I'd spent the last four years after missing out on London with Rio in the back of my mind, Rio kind of felt like that end goal. It felt like the end the end goal that I was reaching towards. So I did feel quite lost. I felt, um, well, Rio's done. What, what can I do now? Like I felt a bit lost. Um, so it took me quite a bit of time actually to get used to it and to be able to assess and set new goals. And um, one thing I found I really enjoyed was open water swimming um so I did try out open water I've am quite a few world cups and things like that um and I love open water it's actually one of my favorite things but naturally I struggle swimming in a group of people you'd find it funny but like swimming with people around you getting elbows to the head getting people pulling your feet back swimming on your toes for two hours oh drove me crazy and I really struggled swimming in a pack um it doesn't come natural to me being quite elbowy and aggressive in the water um I like having my own lane so I did struggle with that um but yeah tried out open water did a few events and then um I don't know it just felt like the right time I felt like um it'd come to kind of like the end of the journey the competitive side of it and I felt like I was ready to I guess start new life and I think I felt very lucky that I was in control of the decision. I felt like I felt ready to do, to make the decision and I feel a lot of people sometimes think, Oh, um, it's not the time or they're not quite sure or injuries or things can actually take them away from the sport. So I felt quite lucky to actually make that decision myself. And, um, yeah, it's again, it's a transition. It's something new, different. Um, and it takes a bit of time to get used to, but, um, yeah, I had an idea about a year ago that I wanted to be able to help people like on their swimming journey. And I think a lot of people will swim up and down in the pool, but they um, aren't thinking of all the other things that can actually make such a big difference. Your nutrition, your physio, your shoulder stability, the gym side of it, the psychological side, which is actually a huge part. So I wanted to be able to, Bring all the information and support that I'd been lucky to have in my senior career um, down to anyone. So um, yeah, that's kind of been the new project, but um, it's taken a lot of thing and a lot of time to get used to. And um, yeah, just uh, been transitioning to to I guess a non athlete anymore. Just um, yeah, getting used to it has been taking a bit of time because I love food, so I'm having to cut back on that quite substantially.
0: <laughs> and and you've noticeably been starting fidgeting a little bit. You're getting a bit hungry. <laughs> I do love yeah, yeah, yeah. Typical, typical athlete. Um, so, where can people get more information about swim with jazz, etc
1: yes Yeah, so it's on my social media um, or swim with jazz.co.uk. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of support and help and anything. I'm trying to, I guess, get people through this time, but also see it as um, areas that we can work on now. So, then we're ready to be back in the pool when we're allowed to be back swimming, really
0: yeah and if the people listening haven't already i'd, I'd strongly recommend jumping across to, to jazz on instagram there's, there's a load of really important messages that, that she, she shares and she's open and honest and, and and shares some of her challenges and how she copes with them and i think it's it's inspiring that, that somebody like yourself jazz in your position is willing to do that and be so open so thanks very much for that um conscious of time that has gone already you know an hour i could talk to you for hours on end um <laughs> i really appreciate your time um and, and your candor uh, and i hope you enjoyed it too
1: oh no thank you so much i really enjoyed it sorry i talked too much <laughs> no no I told you there's
0: nothing worse than pulling teeth so um thanks guys we hope you enjoyed it thanks very much take care yourselves bye now we hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the p3 podcast if you'd like to engage further with us then please come and follow us across all social media platforms we're on facebook instagram twitter and youtube and of course follow us on wherever you get your podcasts to be one of the first to be notified of any new content